Hi everyone, this is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 21. LL Research is a non-profit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community and towards this end has two websites, the archive website llresearch.org and the community website bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us here at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Jim McCarty, husband to the late Carla Ruckert, scribe for The Raw Contact, and president of LL Research, along with Gary Bean and myself, who are working hard to keep the mission of LL Research alive and well, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions from spiritual seekers that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. Our replies to these questions are not final and authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We always ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and to listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Austin, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast in the now. Are you guys here and ready to go? Both here and ready. I think so, yes. Think so? Okay. That'll have to be good enough. Our first question today was sent in from Corey via email, who writes, I was recently reading an excerpt from the fifth book that talks about Jim and a period where he moved past some negative wisdom that had been part of his thinking for quite some time. It didn't go into too much detail regarding what that was or what it looked like, and I'm curious as to what would be defined as negative wisdom. Aside from the general ideas that have been mentioned regarding wisdom that is spread with a lack of love as being oftentimes more hurtful than helpful, I was wondering what that negative wisdom could be and how negative versus positive wisdom can differ. I think Jim would be a perfect person to start with for that one. (laughs) Okay, well, um, I'll tell you, I've never really understood why Ra called it, I understand the negative part, the wisdom part is what I don't understand because I don't think I was being particularly wise. But what Ra is referring to in this particular instance is a situation where the three of us, Don, Carl, and I, were considering what to do about the future publications of the books that we were creating from the Ra contact. And at that point, I think we had um, three done, the equivalent of three, over 75 sessions, plus a few extra sessions into what would become book four. And Don wanted to put all the books together into one book and have that available as a kind of a a tome, a large book. And I told him that, well, you know, that's a good idea, but we can't afford it. We we can't put them all together into one. We're going to have to go one at a time because at that time we just didn't have the funds to to do the work. And so we, we disagreed on that point of view which, you know, is not a a bad thing to do, is to disagree. But what was the unwise thing for me to do was to let that disagreement or that disharmony go on for a couple of days. Now, for most people, that wouldn't be a problem. You you figure out, uh, well, eventually you'll come around, you'll talk it over, and you'll get it worked out. But when you're in a position like we were, a very privileged position of being able to stand close to the light, there was more expected from us. The law of responsibility suggested that we needed to get on top of our catalyst and to use it, especially when there was a disharmony 
between us, and that very seldom happens. So what I did was I, I didn't let it, uh, I didn't get in there and work with Don and figure out a solution that very day. Uh, I let it go a couple of days, and I let the the anger and the uh, disharmony fester. That was plenty of time for our friend of negative polarity to find uh, an opening within my inharmonious vibrations and to lead a little wood spider in uh, that very night, I believe, in my sleep. I got bitten three times by what Ross said was a common wood spider, which normally would not cause a problem for anybody. But our friend of negative polarity had the ability to intensify the potency of that bite until it was equal to a cottonmouth snake, a poisonous snake of uh, some um, power. So what occurred for me was within two weeks, I gained uh, 30 pounds of water weight because my kidneys, as a result of that bite, had ceased functioning the way they should function. I came down with a disease they call the nephritis or minimal change syndrome. And uh, it was I was a funny-looking creature at that time. You could push your finger down on any part of my body and there'd be a pockmark. It would take about 30 to 45 seconds to come back up level with the rest of the skin because it was all water weight there. The only thing that wasn't swollen was my tongue, I think. So the reason that uh, this all occurred was that I allowed that disharmony to exist. Now, um, like I say, I don't know why Ra called it wisdom because what I was doing was presenting um, the only wise or rational, logical thing I presented that was worth considering was the fact that we couldn't afford it. But in the long run, the fact that we couldn't afford it was far uh, less important than the fact I let the disharmony exist for a couple of days and didn't take care of it right away. So um, there may be some connection here. Um, I mean, I didn't have a history of making a uh, disharmonious situations exist between me and other people. In fact, throughout my life, and the few times I'd had disharmonies with people, I did go to them right away, even as a little kid in grade school, and solve it. It just felt like something I had to do. Now, why I didn't do it with Don, uh, at the removal of this time, I don't know why I didn't do it. Uh, maybe I was just holding on to it and decided I wanted to uh, be right. Um, I was probably energized to do something stupid like that as well, but there had to be some inclination on my part to be stupid. So um, I had a target on my back, and I, I let it be there. Uh, the only other thing that I had done throughout my life that had anything of uh, an anger about it was the way I treated myself when I would fail. I would look at myself as uh, a failure and uh, get angry at myself. And usually I took it out on whatever tool I was working with at the moment. And I uh, had an angry episode like that. But I, again, I see even less wisdom in that. So again, I'm still puzzled as to why Ra would call it wisdom. But from that, Carl and I learned uh, in our relationship never to allow any disharmony to go past the sun setting. Uh, don't go to sleep and don't wake up with that disharmony. Uh, figure it out before you go to bed. Get it cleared out. Get the energies flowing clean and purely once again. So I certainly learned from the lesson. And... Um, I guess that's about it for me. Gary, uh, from your remove of time and space, can you see any sense into what I did as being wisdom? Yeah. <laughs> it just occurred to me when you said that you and Carla had a policy, so to speak, of not going to bed angry, that maybe that common expression comes from um, psychic greeting. Maybe people, when they say that, uh, mean to say don't go to bed angry because a negative fifth density entity could exacerbate your distortion and make the situation worse, which could lead to separation. 
or or maybe not. Maybe I'm taking too much creative license with that. <clears throat> uh, as to your situation, Jim, um, <clears throat> I think you were exercising wisdom in analyzing the specifics of the situation and choosing a course. Um, and like you were saying, it, um, it became negative because it led to, uh, even conceptually or emotionally, a sense of separation with Don. Um, <clears throat> in general, examining the difference between positive and negative uh, wisdom, I think that examination of the two polarities will clarify the difference between the two. Um, so far as my wisdom knows, um, wisdom along either path sees clearly. Um, It discerns. It understands the human dynamics at play. It recognizes patterns. It asks questions of how and when and where to apply one's energies and allocate one's resources and focus one's attention. Both positive and negative wisdom can make very fine discernments and can see the human landscape more clearly, including all of the many different and varied surface uh, features. Caveat, um, Ra says that humans cannot understand anything. So... um, Take my description of wisdom as you will. I think that negative and positive wisdom split on the question of towards what end that wisdom is used. Um, Positive entities will exercise discernment and wisdom to serve others, to bring unity to situations if possible, to honor the free will of others, to find ways to empower and encourage others. Negative entities will exercise wisdom and discernment in order to serve the self, naturally, uh, to intentionally create separation between others, to divide and conquer, to manipulate, and if possible, enslave. Um, So I was trying to apply this to a real-world context where you could see a manifestation of positive wisdom and negative wisdom. And um, I thought about the business world. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be business. It could be, let's say, two groups working together on a project. Um, So a positively oriented team leader will skillfully use wisdom to win their way through the complicated interpersonal dynamics of a situation uh, to point the group towards unity and common purpose, uh, towards a camaraderie that brings out the full potential of everyone on the team um, that inspires and uplifts everyone. The positive wisdom knows how to bring clarity and truth through honesty. Uh, A negatively oriented team leader will skillfully use wisdom as well, but to create separation, maybe to pit others against one another, to play off of people's weaknesses, to remain on top of the hierarchy, uh, to create a competitive environment where each person is in it for themselves, um, with alliances, of course, being a means towards that end. Uh, the negative wisdom knows when and how to lie or manipulate information. So, so both wisdoms are seeing clearly, they're just using them um, very differently. Um, and, and finally, if you want to see some real-world examples of negative wisdom, I would recommend looking to some, not all, but some politicians um, especially those who exploit their constituents' shadow side for their own personal gain. Uh, for instance, politicians appealing to racism 
as a means to motivate their base. I, I would say that's negative wisdom. I mean, they're wise enough to understand that um, they can achieve their ends by playing to people's fears or people's xenophobia and then and then using that um, to create separation and to further their own self-service uh, ends. That's my thoughts on your good question, Corey. Austin, how about you? What do you think about all this? Uh, yeah, my response is um, generally in line with Gary's. And obviously we can't speak to the specific situation between you and Don. Um, I like Gary's examples, uh, and I have I took a slightly different approach. My definitions of positive and negative wisdom are pretty similar. Ra did say in the passage where they talk about negative wisdom, um, they said when they said the term negative wisdom, uh, by which we intend to signify expressions which effectually separate the self from the other self. And that is in session 101 and question 2, if anybody wants more context. Um, so what I kind of took that to mean is that positive wisdom, uh, wisdom being sort of a, a level of awareness and an, a level of knowledge and then a, an application of that awareness and knowledge to uh, unify or to serve others. And negative wisdom uh, having a level of awareness and knowledge and using that to separate and serve the self. So uh, a sort of example I would use, a general example, would be in just a general disagreement. And when you have a disagreement with somebody, do you engage with this person in a way that you are intending to eventually find harmony so that you can uh, find common ground and um, go on with this person in harmony or are you engaging in the argument and the disagreement so that you can win the argument so that you can have victory over this person so that you can conquer the argument and sort of satisfy a part of your ego uh, do you yield love or do you stick with your notion of correctness um, Essentially, do you use sort of logical acrobatics to back the other person into a corner so that they're forced to agree with you? Or do you attempt to see from their perspective and unify it with your own perspective and uh, try to bring you and the other person closer together instead of uh, have the argument end in a way that you are placed above the other person? I think that uh, those would be the dichotomy between positive and negative wisdom. Um, so essentially, if you view the application of wisdom as a victory over your environment or over other people, I think that's negative wisdom. And if the application of wisdom instead increases your ability to share love and increases your ability to see love and uh, brings you uh, closer together with other people, I think that's positive wisdom. And other than that, I think you guys covered it pretty well. Uh, do you have any more thoughts on Corey's questions? I had one thought as you were saying uh, separation from other selves. One thing that had been a hallmark of my life previous to joining Don and Carla was uh, it was solitary. I liked uh, being alone. I was an only child, so I had a lot of alone time throughout school. And then I lived on the land for the six and a half years before I met Don and Carla by myself. And uh, being alone has always been a nurturing thing. I remember even my mom told me when I was a baby, if I had uh, gotten an injury or hurt somehow, I would go off by myself and uh, basically heal myself, just hang out until everything <laughs> was okay. 
So that might be part of what they were talking about is that I had allowed myself to separate, um, not so much in the physical sense, but in the uh, mental, emotional, and uh, spiritual sense. Um, I would attempted to go off on my own with my own ideas, I guess, and to not resolve the disharmony. Any more thoughts for you, Gary? No, none for me. Thanks to both of you. All righty. Our next question comes from Richard, who sent it in via email. And he asks, Have you guys ever experienced astral travel? And since it is possible to meet other beings through astral travel, do you think we might be able to meet the beings of Ra in this manner? Gary, what do you think about astral travel? Well... I had to speculate on this one. Um, So what I do know, per the law of one, is that the astral plane is one of the inner planes of our third density experience. Um, So the astral plane is still part of our third density realm. Um, Thusly, I presume that it would have similar limitations as those that we experience um, in the physical world when attempting to contact a sixth density social memory complex. Uh, In other words, the astral plane is still an environment that is removed from and at a distance to Ra's environment. Uh, It the astral environment is its own system of illusions that contains various bodies, according to Ra, and which is already populated by beings whose vibrations match the astral environment. Um, uh, so I, I think it unlikely, I don't know, but I think it unlikely that one could contact Ra through uh, astral travel perhaps there actually maybe there is a, a means for contact with Ra through astral mechanisms um, similar to the way the group contacted Ra while in yellow ray activated consciousness um, I can't say but um, Ra does say that once the uh, Maldekians according to Ra they blew up their planet and the entire population of souls was stuck in what Ra called a knot of fear. And uh, so the Confederation, as Ra says, deploys a social memory complex that's able to reach this, break through this knot of fear and help them to realize that they are conscious. And then um, these Maldekians were nurtured in the lower astral realms. Ra doesn't say who nurtured them or how, but uh, maybe that points to the possibility that some sort of interaction can happen between confederation members and or social memory complexes of higher density and um, third density beings within the astral realm. Um, then again, <laughs> none of those Maldekians were then incarnate. Uh, whereas your question, Richard, is asking if the yellow ray activated ind- individual, um, a.k.a. the the human, the incarnate human, can meet with Ra in the astral. So <laughs> my final answer is I think that's probably a no, but again, I, I can only conjecture. Jim, do you have any experience with astral travel? Uh, no, I don't. I have not had any at all. So um, I would agree with Gary that's not very likely you would find Ra there. I don't think they hang out in that particular mm-hmm. uh, level of experience for the planet. Uh, and I don't think it would be a good idea to try to get in contact with them. Either, actually, you could try, but <laughs> I think there have to be a certain set of preconditions and it's not something that really is easy to set up. 
So uh, you'd probably be more likely to uh, be able to contact Ra in the sleep and dream state because that was the way they used for thousands of years to uh, contact, especially wanderers, to give them the feeling of inspiration and awakening to their purpose in their life uh, to be of service to others. So um, if you gave yourself a suggestion that when you went to sleep you wanted to say hi to Ra, you'd probably have a better chance of it than trying the astral level. I've never astral traveled myself, but I have read plenty on the subject. Uh, and so my understandings are just a distillation from a couple books and uh, some channelings that I've read on the matter. And from what I understand, in the astral realm, there's still a lot of subjective projection and perception. Like we see a lot of our own mental images, our own distortions, and various projections within this astral experience. So the astral realm may be somewhat of an objective realm where we can have a shared experience, but it is more susceptible to our mental impressions. It's not necessarily objective in the same way that our physical reality is. And this means that even if it is possible to meet Ra or other beings in the astral realm, I think it's probably better suited to other types of more personal learning rather than uh, direct learning like we got from the Ra contact. Um, but Ra did say in session 17, question 37, that the astral plane varies from thought forms in the lower extremities to enlightened beings who become dedicated to teach slash learning in the higher astral planes. And in other LL research channeling, the Confederation iterates that astral travel is uh, really only useful to somebody who is highly trained in magic. Um, there's a small bit about it on the in the transcript from November 30th, 1980. So I think that the depth of training and discipline will correlate to a person's ability to point their astral experience towards meeting a guide or learning from that guide, uh, whether it might be raw if it's possible or any other guide. Uh, with that said, I think that we should be careful about how we set our intentions or go about attempting to contact beings like Ra uh, in astral travel. I imagine that opening yourself up to meet in such a way carries similar implications as opening up to channels, uh, up, opening up to channel such beings, uh, which as we know from the experience of the Ra trio, it can be a very precarious thing that must be done with great care. I personally see things like astral travel to be incredibly useful to personal working within one's own mind and with one's close personal guides. Um, and I would take this opportunity to iterate an opinion that I often express, which is that Ra is not necessarily an ideal to reach for. In order to receive the best guidance and experience that's possible to us at the time of seeking, we can set our intentions to just that, to experience and to meet a guide that is appropriate for me right now at my level of seeking. And if that's raw, then that's great. But to ask for raw instead of our highest and best guidance possible, I think it's a mistake. Uh, we all obviously hold the raw material in a very high regard in terms of the quality information, and it speaks to all of us on a very deep level. But to seek something so specific as raw eliminates an entire universe of possibilities. Perhaps we're not trained or tuned enough to interact with Ra, or perhaps there are other beings or contexts which are much better suited to our particular level of learning or our vibration, as it were. So I think that uh, that is just as true in astral travel as in anything else. And I would 
attempt to dissuade anyone from exploring astral travel just for the sake of meeting Ra. I feel like this could lead to possibly some imbalanced experiences. But, of course, that's just my opinion. I concur uh, wholeheartedly with that opinion. Oh, thank you. Uh, any more thoughts from either of you on astral travel? Not for me. Mm, nope. Alrighty. Looks like we have time for our last question of the day, which is sent in from Mary via email. Uh, Mary, again, an amazing volunteer, has been transcribing in the now at an incredibly consistent pace. Thank you, Mary, for everything that you're doing. And Mary writes, I don't know if you're familiar with the Essene Gospel of Peace, but there is an interesting communion which says, Angel of love, descend on me and fill with love all my feelings. Mary continues, What if, from a raw perspective, it is possible to have the full gamut of emotions and still be filled with love? What if unconditional love is quite different from the love that we are used to thinking about and actually encompasses, like an umbrella, all of our feelings, both positive and negative. It is a concept I can't quite get my mind around, but it feels right to my heart. Jim, how do you feel about that? Well, if you look at the life we live as a long-term meditation, whenever we're in meditation we come across a thought that we rather would not have, rather be peaceful and blank of mind, we just let it go by and uh, ignore it. In the life, I think... When we use this Essene principle of applying unconditional love towards any emotion at all, whether they're positive or negative, that we are recognizing, number one, that we are human, and number two, that we can do something about what we feel. Even though these emotions come through us as part of being human, we can consciously take unconditional love that we feel is the most important of all the emotions, and actually more of a, you know, more than an emotion, we can take that and focus it at whatever emotion we've got and imbue that emotion with unconditional love, which basically says to ourselves, we accept ourselves for being human, it's okay, and we don't have to act upon those emotions. We can simply send love to them and try to become more of a, a loving person all the way around. Gary, how about you? <clears throat> I think that, um, well, I'll start by looking at the the green ray chakra and saying that the the heart center or green ray chakra is the uh, center of consciousness responsible for processing love at least the beginning at least what we call love um and when it's fully open and maximized it has certain qualities that we described with adjectives like universal inclusive and unconditional so from that standpoint while Certain emotions and experiences may block the lower chakras and thus block or obscure love. I think that love is so big and so deep and so endless, <clears throat> bottomless is a word I like, and of such a high integrated order of energy that it can meet any and all emotions up and down the spectrum. Uh, indeed, I think it is through contact with love that those emotions are processed and understood and integrated and transmuted into higher energy, namely into love itself. So um, while I cannot claim to understand love or what love is, I think uh, your question definitely heads in the right direction in seeing love as 
of a greater order, so to speak, than the um, full range of human emotions and it is can be seen as an umbrella, as your uh, analogy puts it. That's my thoughts. Thanks, Mary. Your turn. Yeah, I think that uh, Mary's... Um, question about what if unconditional love is quite different from the love that we are used to thinking about. I think th- that is basically true, and but I feel like in third density we probably can't fully grasp what that means, what unconditional love really is. And I think it is a good thing to see it as an umbrella that encompasses all things, all emotions, positive and negative. But to respond more to the heart of Mary's question... The goal of balancing and seeking universal love isn't necessarily to eject or stamp out the emotions we feel are negative, uh, but that might be a result of the process. So I think Mary's question is valid in that um, love isn't replacing negative emotions with love. It's uh, it's greater than that. Um, The process does require us to eventually view our full gamut of emotions in love and acceptance. And we can't condemn our emotions. We can't run from them. We can't avoid them for the sake of our own comfort or ideals. And in that way, I think Mary is very correct. It is possible for our entire spectrum of emotions to be filled with love, I think. Uh, But if we are still experiencing these emotions, I think that that implies that they are still useful to us in our evolution. Um, With love, we can experience the full range of emotions with that underlying joy which permeates throughout all experiences once we uh, grasp that joy and perceive it and recognize it. And perhaps at at that point in our evolution, simply experiencing the emotions from within that love is what we are meant to do. Maybe that is the best thing for us to do. I do believe, though, that emotions are sort of signposts for us to follow and help us reach uh, further into our depths. Uh, Ra talked about, in session 42, question 2, emotionally charged responses. And what they said was, if there is seen in the being a response, even if it is simply observed, the entity is still using the catalyst for learn-slash-teaching. The end result is that the catalyst is no longer needed. Thus, this density is no longer needed. This is not indifference or objectivity, but a finely tuned compassion and love which sees all things as love. This seeing elicits no response due to catalytic reactions. Thus, the entity is now able to become a co-creator of experiential occurrences. This is a truer balance. So, with that in mind, I would ask, why would we be experiencing these emotions if they were not still useful as a catalyst for us to use in our process of evolution? I do feel like at some point the emotions will uh, fall away. And it's not like the emotions are gone for eternity. The experiences remain with us for eternity. We will have the memory and uh, they'll be a part of us forever. But the types of emotions that we experience and the contexts in which they arise and how we define love based on those experiences, I think is a constantly evolving and changing thing. So I don't think that Mary is wrong in any sense, but I do get the sense that there is probably more to the story and what we consider positive and negative emotions uh, might 
eventually no longer be part of our path as we get closer and closer to understanding what universal love really is. And uh, that's that's what I have to say about that. Do you guys have any more thoughts? Not for me. Nope. Alrighty. Well, I think that we are at the end of our time here. So, Jim, you have any uh, final thoughts for the listeners? Yeah, it's been a great time talking to you guys today. We always have uh, a lot of yeasty thoughts to pop up, and it's because of people like our listeners who send us questions. We so appreciate that. We appreciate everything you've got to say, and we appreciate you listening to us with your hearts and your minds. And please know that we love every single one of you. I hope we all have a really good week. Cheerio. You have been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those of you who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question before the next show, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk with you then.